0: Welcome to the Wards Auto Podcast. I am David Kiley, senior editor of Wards Auto and your host. Today we have a treat where we get to check in with two auto companies, each doing their own unique things when it comes to transitioning from a product line built around the internal combustion engine and fossil fuels to one centered around electrification. And yes, still fossil fuels, because the electricity. That we use for battery electric vehicles is still largely coming from coal and natural gas powered utility companies. The first company we're going to talk to is Honda. I recently attended the preview for the Honda Prologue, which is Honda's first ever battery electric vehicle. It seems odd that Honda, which may well be, and I think they are, the best engine company in the world, is just now getting around to their first. BEVs. They certainly mastered the internal combustion engine. In fact, Honda is really an engine and motor company first. As they grew, they came up with various product lines for their engines to be used in. I myself used to have a Honda minivan, Honda generator, a Honda rototiller, a Honda lawnmower. The company, of course, makes motorcycles and scooters. If the thing has an engine, Honda probably has it in its product portfolio. And like the Acura ZDX, which we recently talked about here, the Prologue, as well as the ZDX, is built atop General Motors' Ultium EV platform. Now, why would Honda use GM's platform for their first BEVs? Well, in order to take advantage of the federal tax credits for the buyers of these cars, and that demands that the vehicle that the credit is applied to, has domestic content and domestically sourced batteries. Honda is building a battery factory of its own, but it is a few years off from being up and running. So after we talk to John Huang, chief engineer on both the Prologue and the ZDX, we will take you to Zion National Park, in Utah, where we tested Subaru's Crosstrek Wilderness Edition. Now, the Crosstrek is not a BEV, but we did talk to Dominic Infante, Chief Communications Officer at Subaru, about the company's electrification plans, while we stood under the stars and an amazing moonrise in Utah. All of that after this. This message from our sponsor, American Axle & Manufacturing, known the world over
1: now as AAM. This podcast is brought to you by American Axle & Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world, with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers.
0: John Huang, Chief Engineer at Honda, for both the Honda Prologue and Acura ZDX. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So talk to us a little bit, John, about the platform, the architecture of this vehicle, which is shared uh, with GM. It's on the GM Ultium platform. Can you just talk to our listeners a, a little bit about why this agreement, before we talk about the prologue specifically, why this agreement was struck and why Honda is doing its first
2: full BEV on GM's platform? I can't speak to the... Business background of that, but um, what I can share or what I can explain about or talk about is that, you know, this platform is, it was really attractive to Honda because it's on a, a scale or size that really American customers are asking for. It's a, a large or midsize SUV, form factor, two rows, plenty of seating for five, great cargo space. So we really optimized that platform and uh, it was really attractive to us. So we decided to work with them
0: mm-hmm. on it. Can you share with us a little bit about the dynamics of working with a dev team at another rival automaker on, you know, what is a a very important vehicle?
2: Well, I guess, I I don't know if I call it a rivalry, but the, I mean, the fact is both companies sell cars in the same market, I guess. But really when you put a collaboration together and you have teams on both sides and their job is to execute a development, there's really... I don't think there's any rivalry there because they both have the same goal, right? Mm-hmm. To launch an excellent product. So it really doesn't matter if I have a Honda badge or a GM badge, I think. So everybody has the same goal and it's a win-win for everyone. So I, I don't think there was ever any kind of like that kind of feeling. Um, and it was really great to work with them as somebody who worked at Honda for over 20 years to just kind of see a new way of developing, a new way of thinking about a car. Mm-hmm. And I hope they learned the same from us to kind of see a different way of thinking or a different way of developing a car. So it was fun. You know, we had a core team here assigned to Michigan. So we had people from Ohio and, and Japan that permanently moved here. And me too, including me. So we've been up here for uh, four years working well. on it.
0: So this vehicle is, um, is on the Ultium the platform. Uh, so is the Acura ZDX. The Honda Prologue is a front drive setup, whereas the ZDX is a rear drive setup. Now, is that done in part to differentiate the two vehicles, if you can elaborate on that?
2: Yeah, you're correct. So basically, from a brand differentiation point of view, it was a great opportunity, a great kind of chance to do it differently because it was available on that platform. So we were able to execute a front-wheel drive-based kind of a a development on the Prologue, and then a rear-wheel drive based on the ZDX, and the platform allowed it. So it was really a great opportunity for us to execute that
0: and I think you talked too about the fact that Honda owners you know who have owned multiple Hondas are kind of used to and accustomed to the front drive setup of the of the internal combustion cars is, is that right
2: yeah correct so we wanted to make a seamless or natural transition so they can understand the driving dynamics, that it was more familiar. But on the Acura, we wanted a more premium feeling, more premium dynamics. So rural drive was really natural for us and a great opportunity to try it. And also the competitors are in that rural drive space. So we wanted to be able to match that.
0: So we talked during the preview a bit about sound, and this is an issue for every automaker because you don't have the growl of the internal combustion engine if that's what you're you're going for. What is the sound? We because we're we're here in Farmington Hills and we're we just see a static display, so we're not driving the vehicle today. But is the sound that you're talking about? feedback to the driver or is the sound that you're talking about today the sound that pedestrians hear when the car is is close by?
2: Yeah, those are kind of two separate things. So the outside sound that a pedestrian would hear, that's an actual regulation or requirement. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of controlled by that. Um, What Honda was kind of more focused on was the internal sound or the sounds for the driver. Mm -hmm. So we have two different kind of topics here. One is kind of just um, the driving sound or the feedback for the driver when they are driving the car so they understand kind of the driving character or the speed or the um, kind of what the car is doing. So in other words, we wanted to enhance just the natural motor sound with some sounds that gave feedback on the potential speed or how they're driving. So we wanted to make sure that not just by looking at the speedometer, they also could hear kind of how they're driving and, and then what the car is doing for them. So that's one and then the second one was also because it's an EV the cars are very quiet so we wanted to make sure that the audio so for the music that um, that we can really enhance it and and add value to that that a uh, normal so even from a normal Bose or normal other audio system in an EV you can hear more you can pick up more so it was really critical for us to make sure that there were no other buzzes or squeaks or rattles or even at low volume, the clarity and the performance of the audio was good. So those were new challenges or new opportunities for us to learn and experience. On the prolog, specifically, we work with our partners at Bose to make sure we can really execute a, a new level of EV level EV capable Bose system mm-hmm. compared to a, other Hondas.
0: The range for the prolog is targeted uh, for the front drive set up targeted for about 300 miles the Acura ZDX uh, targeting 325, I believe you said that's because they have a bigger battery pack. I'm just wondering, so was that sort of an intentional thing to, again, part of the differentiation between the two vehicles, but also do you feel like, what kind of research went into knowing whether or not 300 miles was kind of the magic number for Honda customers?
2: Yeah, the, good question. So we do have internal research or um, benchmarking, and we felt 300 was an acceptable or a good target for, for the range anxiety to be not a factor in the deciding uh, mm-hmm. for a purchase. Okay. Yeah.
0: And the all-wheel drive version will be targeting probably, I'm guessing, somewhere between 270 and 290 in there?
2: It'll be in the high 200s, yeah, okay. well, for the all-wheel drive from, uh,
0: So it it occurs to me, and I, I said this about the ZDX, too, that this feels like a little bit of white space that you'll have for at least a short period of time when you come out in the first quarter, because I don't know of another SUV crossover, if you will, with the footprint and utility space, cargo space, et cetera, et cetera that this one has that also gets up to 300 miles is that is that the way you see it and and was that a consideration in the overall plan of the vehicle
2: yeah absolutely absolutely because the kind of one of the attractions of partnering on the altium platform was that exact ability to target this space where you can get you know for for people in the industry a Mm d-segment cuv for a family of five with all their stuff mm-hmm. and still get 300. It's a perfect white space that, you know, not many are at. Mm-hmm. So we could really land in a unique value proposition for the customer.
0: Yeah. So this vehicle is Honda's, Honda brand first, all BEV. There've been some other companies, including your partner, GM, who've been out for a bit with BEVs. Can you speak to... Why, you know, first quarter of 24 versus maybe a couple of years ago is Honda's first Bev. Like, I don't, I don't want to say you're late to the party, because I think the market is still developing in such a way that I don't think you can really be late if you're coming to market with, you know, the right kind of product.
2: Yeah, I, I can't speak to the, the strategies or implementation, but, you know, the the announcements we've made in the past, we're sticking with that and we're progressing. Um, the launch timing of these cars are appropriate for these models to make sure that the platform is mature and we're ramping at a a cadence that allows for volume with quality. So yeah, I I don't know about the other models, but I can say that uh, these cars are launching at the right time.
0: Hey, John, thank you so much. Thank you for a really good presentation. And Congratulations on what looks like a, a really successful vehicle.
2: Thanks so much. I can't wait for you and all the uh, all your listeners to drive a prologue. Thank you.
0: <laughs> now, from Honda and EVs to Subaru in the Utah wilderness.
1: This podcast was brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com slash careers.
0: And I'm here in Utah, right next to Zion National Park with Dominic Infante, who is the head of communications for Subaru of America. Dominic. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Hey, Dominic. I just want to say, so we're here to put through the Crosstrek, the new Crosstrek Wilderness Edition. Yes. In, um, through, and I mean paces, through yeah. our paces, because we were off-road for hours today, and i got to say, this vehicle, I'm a big fan of the Crosstrek, Anyway, this Wilderness Edition is astonishing in terms of what it can do, and I've said this in print. If there's a better value, pound for pound, inch for inch, in the whole industry outside of the cross track, I don't know what it is. So
3: I have to agree. I mean, obviously, I'm very <laughs> proud of the vehicle, but I mean, for thirty-two thousand dollars, look, a regular cross trek is incredibly strong off road. Yeah. And we knew that we needed to do something extra for the wilderness. We have extra ground clearance, 9.3 inches of ground clearance. It's got, it's got better suspension, different differentials, all these things that make it so much better off-road. You've got off-road tires and et cetera, much more cheaply than you could actually do it if you were trying to modify the car yourself. So we had to go somewhere where we could actually show that off so that it is better than a regular crosstrack. And a regular is pretty good off-road too, but, but uh, something that was gonna be dramatic and it could do that and felt like a wilderness product. But I think you hit the nail on the head. For the money, it's very hard to approach a vehicle that is affordable and yet you would actually really want to own. You know, and I think that's what the Crosstrek does. You're, like, you're never embarrassed driving around in a Crosstrek. You're, you're you're happy to have it. it looks cool. You know, it looks fun. And this looks a bit more outrageous as well. Yeah. So it, we basically, I don't want to say we're geniuses. What we're doing, we followed our customers. Our customers were doing these mods, and we followed them. We're like, okay, what are they doing? They're really into this, and we saw a new community coming up different than the WRX guys, but they weren't that different. They wanted to modify their vehicles and and, and do more camping and off-roading as they started having families and wanting to family time. So we made somebody that could totally handle a rooftop tent. It could go pretty deep into the wilderness. It's got an incredible range, almost 500 plus miles of range. So if you're really going out into some some boondocks, right, you're, you're ready to handle it. So yeah, we're we're excited. Our our retailers are even more excited than than we are, because they know how well this is. We think this is going to do, and when it hits the market, yeah.
0: So I want to talk to you now. This car, we've been this whole series, we've been talking about going from ICE to electrification. So the Cross and the Wilderness, not electrified yet. So I'm going to, and I know you're not going to tell me when exactly. I don't think you're going to tell me when the Crosstrack is going to get some electrification. I've heard rumors about 2025 for a hybrid, but beyond that, and what I want to get you for a couple of minutes on is Subaru is set at seven electric vehicles by 2028,
3: right? So actually what we're going to do is it'll be a mix of ICE uh, hybrids, obviously, in the near future and we'll have more news on that coming up shortly and then also electric so by uh we're gonna have four new electric vehicles that are through our alliance with uh toyota that will be coming out by 2025 right so that is the next iteration of that and they'll um they'll be they'll be great we really focus on building these vehicles and then We are, we're building right now a dedicated EV plant in Japan. We've also announced we're going to um, build an EV plant in the U.S. And then after that, we're going to do four more. So it'll be a total of eight. So four more Subaru-designed, not Alliance vehicles, Subaru-designed battery electric vehicles that we'll have out by 2028. So is all of the battery technology,
0: even with the Subaru designs, is all of that migrating from Toyota?
3: I can't really give the details on that, but uh, I would say it's more of a mix, right? We're going to look at, at all the opportunities we have out there in terms of battery. Uh, as you know, battery tech is the fastest-moving thing, and it's what we really need to move the needle on, on EVs. Yeah. And so, you know, look, we'll, we'll we'll use what we can, what we can find, and what's going to make sense for us in the marketplace.
0: Yeah. So let's
3: talk a minute about
0: your customers' in the transition from internal combustion engine vehicles to electrified. I know that, for example, you had a cross-track hybrid for a while, right? But in terms of the pace that Subaru is moving, talk about that pace towards electrification relative to what the Subaru customer wants, is looking for. Like, put the Subaru customer and the path to electrification... In, in context for me, because my, as a, I've owned a few Subarus, and, and so my belief or my feeling about the customer is that most Subaru customers will embrace electrification. That would be my, my supposition.
3: Sure. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I think what we've got to focus on is making sure that our EVs, um, now we have the Solterra. That they they live up to what a Subaru customer expects. So it has, it's, it's got to be all-wheel drive. It's got to have good off-roading capability, and it's going to do the things they want it to do. That's going to be the most you know the most important part of this. Um, also the packaging, etc. But yeah, so I mean, but it it right now I think the reality of the market is, you know, we're we're limited in terms of EV charging stations, things like that. The infrastructure is still coming. This will come pretty quickly, right? We know there'll be a kind of a, a magnification of, of, of the availability of chargers, et cetera. The opening up of the Tesla systems as well is going to help things. And it's just, I think that there's no problem, I think, with um, Subaru customers adopting EV as long as we give them a package that they want and it's consistent with Subaru. Mm-hmm.
0: So one last question for you. In all the various like industry consortium stuff in terms of building that infrastructure, and forgive me if i'm i'm misremembering but i don't remember i've seen toyota in these consortiums but not subaru Is, are they sort of your proxy in, in this effort to build out fast charging infrastructure in terms of i mean you meaning of connecting with different suppliers or well no i'm talking about like there's a i mean companies including bmw and general motors and honda and toyota you know we formed these consortiums to Invest in the more rapid deployment of fast chargers. I haven't seen Subaru's name in any of these efforts, but I'm just wondering if Toyota is kind of your proxy on that because they
3: own 20% of Subaru. To, to, to be honest, um, I'm not totally positive on that. I know we have a deal with EVgo, but uh, in terms of buying into those consortiums, we haven't gone that far. I know we are looking at different battery suppliers and things like that, uh, but I, I, I think what we'll do is make sure that we are... A company that will be able to, to maximize the number of charging stations right so that's going to be the key is going to be making it, it compatible
0: okay hey dominic infani thank you very much congratulations on this wilderness trim for the cross track it just is spectacular i put it through about six seven hours of paces today and all kinds of road surfaces and trails and everything else around zion national park and man it is it is um, as i said earlier Pound for pound, I cannot think of a higher value vehicle than than the Crosstrek line.
3: And and, and it's fun. I mean, it's yeah. a fun car to be in. It's a fun car to drive. It's super usable. That's the the main thing we look for. You know, at Subaru is like the ability to use the vehicle under so many conditions. You know, and people want to know it's reliable. It's dependable long-lasting you know and you can it look better beaten up let's be honest right they need need some dirt and some miles right we
0: we took some photos of it you know out there and my drive partner said i wanted to get some photos of it while it's still clean so we we did those but then we later in the day you know we i I remember your car your car (laughs) was spectacularly dusty yeah and it was very dusty at the end and in fact across the back border or bumper rather they're big letters, Subaru. And very appropriately, I think, the Subaru lettering pops much better when the car is covered in dust. <laughs>
3: yeah. Now, like I said, a dirty Subaru is a happy Subaru. It really yeah. is the truth. Thanks again, Dominic. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us this week. And thank you to Honda's John Huang and Subaru's Dominic Infante. I hope you liked today's episode. And we hope you are subscribing to the Wards Auto Podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on any of your favorite platforms like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, but you can also play the podcast right off our website when you see any stories around a new episode. Just click into the graphic in the story that says, listen now. Well, thanks to American Axle and Manufacturing 2. I'm your host, David Kiley. Graham Mitchell is our engineer until next time, enjoy the ride.